There comes a time in every worthwhile endeavor where you need to make a decision. Am I going to keep going or am I going to quit? Am I going to finish or, or abandon the project? It doesn't matter if you're running a marathon or building a house or getting a degree. You need to decide if you're going to keep going. You might be developing a business. You might be working on a project. Or even, should I continue this friendship or this relationship? Everything worthwhile in life needs commitment and time and demands your attention. I've seen a lot of partially finished projects. I'm sure you might have some of those laying around at home. But I have seen half-made boats in people's backyards, unfinished homes that couldn't get permits, abandoned buildings, even trucks that were driven out into a field and left to rot. And I have seen relationships untended. You need to keep going in the important things of life. You need to not quit. We live in a time where violent crime and burglaries are up, health concerns are raging, fear is increasing, and the church seems to be under attack. This is why it is crucial to clarify the mission of the church, clarify the calling that God has put upon the church. This seems to be what Jude is doing and what he has in mind when he gives the most positive of commands. Keep yourselves in God's love. We're in Jude 20 and 21 today. Here is Jude, a slave of Christ, self-proclaimed slave of Christ, and, and brother of James, who also described himself as a slave of Christ. And he is appealing to those who belong to Christ. He is appealing to those who have been regenerated by God. And they, he is telling them, contend in a contentious world. This world that is bent on canceling Christ. That slaves of Christ must contend for the faith. They've been chosen. They've been kept. They are kept by Jesus. And you need to know that God judges evil. And we have seen verses 5 through 16 talk all about that. And now in verses 17 through 23, we're being told to persevere in the mercy of God. And then we will see as we get to the last verses that we are to trust God's promise. Last time we were in verses 17 through 19 and we saw the first of five imperatives. We were told to remember God's word. It was a strong command. The first imperative in Jude, remember God's word. Train yourself for godliness. Believe the predictions of the apostles. Beware the practices of apostates. And now in verses 20 and 21, we come to a second imperative. The second imperative in Jude, and it is keep yourselves in God's love. It is a command that Christ's church must continue in his love. This is the command, that we are to be contending for the faith, and it only works when you're healthy in Christ and doing what he says. Look at verses 20 and 21. These are the two verses we are concerned with today. It begins this way, But you, beloved, those loved by God, those chosen by God, those that God has caused to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, beloved, Christians, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. 
waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. When you read this, it seems like four imperative commands. But there was only one imperative here, and then three participles that take on almost the force of the imperative. Keep yourselves in God's love by continuing three essential practices, building, praying, waiting. First, we need to look at this huge imperative. This is what God is saying. Keep yourselves in my love. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So look at verse 21. That word keep, that's the imperative. It is plural. Keep yourselves in the love of God. It's addressed to the collective body of Christ. This is what it looks like to be a a community keeping watch over ourselves. Keep means to guard, to keep watch over, to, to keep in custody, to observe, to obey, to, to guard from loss or injury, to watch, to keep your eye on. That we are to keep, we are to remain or become obedient. God's love has been poured out on us, but we are not to be disobedient. We are not to incur God's disfavor or his discipline. We are to keep, the responsibility here is to obey. Keep yourselves in God's love. Be faithful to live out salvation, as Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. It's like Paul and Barnabas urging the believers in Acts 13, telling them, continue in the grace of God. Continue following Christ. This is You and I keeping ourselves while Christ keeps and guards us. We are kept by Jesus Christ, as verse 2 tells us. But we also keep ourselves as he keeps us. There's, There's a power, the power of God upon our life, and then we are to make choices that go along with that. Picture a race car driver, and he's driving a powerful race car, and it's not his power. He, he's driving it, and there's an unseen engine that is powering this, this race car, and the driver is, is thinking, the driver is seeing, the driver is responding, the driver is steering. And then picture this. There is an unseen power energizing the driver as they, they do what they're called to do. And, and picture that that unseen power is God, giving him the ability to think and and steer and and react and you have to take that by faith or else you will be tempted to give fallen depraved sinful man the credit for whatever he does keep yourself in god's keeping love perhaps jude is referring to jesus words when jesus says remain in my love literally abide in my love He has has told his followers that obeying his commands is a sign of love for him. John 14, 21, he says, whoever keeps my commandments loves me. Keep yourself in God's love. Jude is saying, keep going in Christ. Continue in Christ. Choose to keep going in Christ. Even when you are disappointed, even when you are dejected, even when you are are downcast, even when you are depressed, even when you feel like giving up, don't give up. In the book of Acts, we see the church being persecuted. 
we see that they were scattered because of a persecution that arose after Stephen was killed for his faith. And what happened, that those who were scattered because of the persecution went as far as Antioch. And they, they spoke the word of God. They, they preached the gospel. And it says that the hand of the Lord was with them and that many believed and turned to the Lord. They, they repented of their sins and turned to Christ. And the church in Jerusalem heard about it. And so they sent Barnabas. And we read in Acts eleven twenty three 23 that when Barnabas saw the grace of God, when he saw evidence that these people had experienced the grace of God, they'd been saved by grace through faith in Christ, he was glad. And he didn't stop there. He exhorted them. He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, to continue in God's love. This is what Jude is doing. He's, he's exhorting us to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, to continue on in Christ, to keep yourself in God's love. God's love, which has been poured out, as Romans 5, 5 tells us, poured out richly into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Romans 8 tells us nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remain in the love of God. Continue on in the love of God. Don't give up. You didn't save yourself. You don't sustain yourself, but you choose to continue. Picture a, a greatly loved child sitting in her father's lap, being reassured by her father after a, a tumble or a fall and skinned knee that he's caring for her, that she's safe and secure. And picture that child telling the father how much she loves him. Here you have the collective body of Christ being called to stay in the love of Christ. A caring community keeping watch over each other, knowing how much God loves us. And Jude, Jude tells us how to do it. He doesn't just command us and say, keep yourself in God's love, see you at the finish line. You know, as a, I did a lot of long distance running when I was younger, and, and I, would, I, I would spur on my teammates, and they would spur me on, keep going, let's go, let's go, keep going. And we knew we were gonna run to the finish line. That was the whole thing. And Jude is saying this. If you want to keep yourself in God's love, church, Christian, if you want to keep yourself in God's love as a part of a local assembly of believers, because this is all plural, the imperative is plural, the participles that take on the imperative force are plural, you are to continue in three essential practices. Keep doing three things among the gathered and the scattered church. As a Christian, as Christian homes, as, as the household of God gathered together, keep doing three things. You'll notice the first is in verse 20, keep building by God's word. The second is in verse 20, keep praying for God's will. And then third, in verse 21, keep waiting for God's son. We'll work through each of these. Keep building by God's word, first. Keep praying for God's will, second. And keep waiting for God's son, third. What Jude is saying is, don't, don't sit back and enjoy the ride as God drives. Be fully engaged. All the gears meshing. 
be fully sold out, be fully committed, be fully alive to follow your master as obedient slaves. Your whole self is to be involved. Every part of you. So the first practice we are to engage in is keep a building by God's word. In verse 20, we read this phrase, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. It's plural. It, it stands to reason that you, you are saved by a holy God, you serve a holy God, therefore you have a holy faith. Verse 3 tells us it's the faith once for all delivered. It's, it's what you possess now by grace through faith in Christ. It's the Christian faith. It's the doctrine of the church. It's the promises of God. It's the gospel. It's the word of God that you're to remember. As we saw last week, remember God's word. This is the word of God that you're commanded to remember. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Build yourselves up in the word of God. Grow in God's word and grow by God's word. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith equals being, being built up in God's word where you grow in God's word. As you hear the word of God, as you heed the word of God, as you want to obey it, you, you want to obey what it, what it proclaims, you want to obey what it prescribes because you know it helps your heart. You know it helps the fellowship when you are aligned with the word of God, when you are not just coming on a Sunday and hearing the word of God, but, but all through the week that the word of God is, is permeating through your life. Is that true about you? If not, you're going to be a, a bit empty on that one. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. 1 Corinthians 14 says, let all things be done for building up. The church should be about building up one another. Romans 15 says, each should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. No, no mention of looking for others to do that for you. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, encourage one another and build one another up. There's the church project. We're all supposed to be looking to how we can build others up so someone will get to you. Our foundation and cornerstone is Jesus Christ and Scripture. Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. If he let go, everything would fall down. All things hold together in Christ. And so in the word of God, we have the truths of the Christian faith. They were given by the apostles and prophets. We grow by the word of God. 1 Peter 2 says, Long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You don't grow in Christ apart from the word of God. You don't just get a bunch of ideas in your head and then, you know, tack them together and glue them together and say, I'm going to grow as a Christian because I came to know Christ and I'm just going to go without the Bible. That's the most foolish thing you can do. If you're without the Bible today, let's say that this is the only time you're going to hear the Bible this week and you are a professing Christian. My prayer is that will change today. In Acts 20, when Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, he says this. In Acts 20, in verse 32, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, to the Bible, to the word of God, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The Bible's that important. 
The Bible's getting trashed and, and thrashed everywhere, left and right. Even a lot of professing Christians are like, I really don't need that. Or they'll say, you know what, I know exactly what it means and no one can tell me otherwise, and they don't even look further than their own mind. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. We're told in 2 Peter to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You do that by the word of God. As the Spirit of God uses the word of God in your life as, as you, as we saw last week, as you bring it into your life as a compass. A compass that reorients and, and redirects and renews and, and restores. Is the word of God doing that in your heart? Are, are you able to, to listen and hear the word of God straight up, the bare word of God, and take it into your life and let it reorient you and redirect you and, and renew you and restore you? Is it happening in your life? There was a moment where Jesus asked a question to his disciples, and he said, well, a lot of people were leaving him at one point in time. He said, are you going to leave too? And their answer is, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. The word of God, e eternal, sure, perfect, clear, powerful, permanent. So the early church grew together in the word of God. In Acts 9, we read that the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. They were walking in the fear of God and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the church multiplied. Because the word of God grows you. The word of God does its work in you who believe. We must grow together in God's word. Don't let anyone tell you to, to do less of that. In Colossians 2, we're told we are to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. And the outcome is abounding in thanksgiving. Many thanks for the word of God. And that we are told and Paul tells Timothy this, don't devote yourself to myths which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. What's the stewardship of God that is by faith from God? The word of God. And we are to steward the word of God. We are to preach the word of God. We are to hear the word of God. We are to do the word of God. Paul told Titus, he says, I am a slave of God. I am a doulos, I am a servant of God for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Christians are often called the elect because God chooses them to be saved. It says, for the sake of, of the faith of the elect and their knowledge of the truth. The elect are to be growing in knowledge of the truth. As you grow, if you're a Christian, as you grow, you should be growing in your knowledge and your grasp and your awareness of and your ability to use the word of God to help others, to bring it into your household, to not go backwards, but to actually grow by grace through faith in Christ as you avail yourself to the word of God. If you find yourself today empty of that, it's because you haven't taken the time. And maybe you think it wasn't necessary. But we are to build brick by brick stone by stone, day by day, moment by moment, in the word of God. Let the word of God drench your soul. Let the word of God permeate your soul. 
Let the Word of God do its work in you. And to do that, you have to be under the Word of God. I commend you for being under the preaching of the Word of God. But tomorrow morning is coming. Actually, this afternoon is coming. How many times are you going to get in the Word of God today? You're going to check it off and say, I was at church today? We don't need to do you know, family time. We don't need to get into the Word as a, as a household because we did that already. You hold on to God's Word in reverent awe. Use the tools that God has given you. Do what the regenerate do. They, they go back again and again and again to the Word of God because it's sweeter than honey. Dig for gold. Dig for your own gold. Open up your Bible to the bare Word of God. Listen to all the sermons and podcasts you want, but first and foremost, take in the bare Word of God because as you do, the Word of God exposes you. The Word of God continually exposes to me how wretched my heart is. But for the grace of God, I, I absolutely believe with every ounce of energy I have in me that every time we open up the Word of God, our life can be changed. Every sermon, every Bible study, every, every meditation upon the Word, memorizing verses, every time and, and it happens in mutual edification it happens alone it happens with your household it happens with fellow believers where you bring the word of God to bear upon every situation in every setting the word of God is always appropriate to bring always there's never a time when the word of God is not appropriate to bring into the setting for mutual edification we get these ideas in our heads and we won't be dissuaded or persuaded and perhaps we should let the Bible shape our views instead of our views shaping the Bible. Let the Bible shape your, your doctrine rather than your mind shaping your beliefs. As the Latin says, ad fontes, back to the source. Back to the source, to the word of God, to the perfect, pure, inspired, inerrant, infallible, conscience-binding powerful word of God. We are dealing with progressive and liberal Christianity in the days in which we live. We are dealing with false gospels. We are dealing with false teaching. We are dealing with deception. And some come by it innocently. Some are giving it maliciously. But you have to get God's word into your pores. You've got to let God's word sink down into every nook and cranny of your soul and get drenched by it. And do not let anyone tell you, I, I think you're getting too much of the word of God. I mean, we leak. It's like the air conditioning on and the, and the windows are open. It's going out. You've got to keep filling up. I need more of God's word than I think I do. Read the word of God collectively with the people of God. Model for your children and your grandchildren a, a consistent attending to the word of God. We are listening to it, and they hear it in your voice, and, and you hear it and you do it. Meditate on one passage of scripture over and over again until it becomes very familiar. How many of you have been tempted to say, we've already read Jude enough? Oh no, we haven't. 
I've read Jude in so many cities. I've read Jude in so many places. I've read Jude with so many people, and I don't have it memorized. I haven't fully grasped every truth. I haven't plumbed the depths of Jude. And we've read it with the gathered church. We've read it on Wednesday nights. We've read it in, in men's and women's groups. We've read it. I've read it with our staff and elders and deacons. I've read it with brothers on a hike. I've read it all over the place. And I need it more. And God's word fits anywhere and everywhere. Bring it into your life in every area, in every circumstance, at, at any time. You know, nowadays people are texting you all hours of the day and night, right? Get into the Word at all hours of the day and night. You wake up in the middle of the night, open your Bible. Pray for someone. Listen to the Word of God. Heed it. Obey it. Treasure the bare Word of God. I hope what we've been doing, we fill our, our, our services with as much public reading of Scripture and prayer as we can, that it encourages your Bible reading on a daily basis that you have something to read every day, your Bible. And maybe it, it jumpstarts your wandering faith. Maybe your faith was waning. Maybe you're like, I don't know if I can hold on. I don't know if I can, I, I don't know if I'm going to give up. I, I don't know. Well, the, the Word of God, and as the Spirit uses the Word of God, it could jumpstart your wandering faith. If you're not a believer, it could lead you to faith. It could cause you to repent and you know, if you're a believer, it encourages your soul. It strengthens your soul. Not some paraphrase, but actually a real Bible that, that is translated from, from Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, and you read it, and you realize this is the Word of God. This is how you grow in the church. This is how you grow as a Christian. It's a church project. It's the task of the entire congregation. Every one of you has a part to play. Are you doing this beyond Sundays? God's word every day. There's just mindless, mindless activities. How many times do you open up your, your, your news feed or your pub or your, you know, all your social media stuff, or you you listen to other people? How often do you open up the word of God? Do you listen to it? Do you read it? Are you training your mind to meaningfully meditate on the word of God, or do you run away from it quickly? You got that done. I did that. I, I did my devotions. It's funny. Why aren't you doing that with your social media? Why, are you, why aren't you doing that with the news feed? You're going to be watching a lot of Olympics. Keep building up by God's word. That's the first practice of every Christian. First practice of every church. Practice number two. Keep praying for God's will. Again, in verse 20, that phrase, praying in the Holy Spirit. That's not praying in tongues. That's not speaking in tongues. That's not ecstatic utterances. You have to twist the Bible to make it say that. It is praying in the power of the Holy Spirit for the will of God in the name of Christ. It's those who are indwelt by the Spirit of God as opposed to what who Jude has been referring to, those devoid of the Spirit, those unregenerate, those unsaved, those uncaring. If you know Christ, you keep praying for God's will. In Ephesians 5.18, we are told to be filled with the Spirit of God. The companion verse, the cross-reference verse, the parallel verse is Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
Ephesians 6.18 says, praying at all times in the spirit, and then explains it with all prayer and supplication, be alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You notice it doesn't say just have your little prayer list of all the things you're asking for, for yourself. But you are to pray for the whole church. Are you praying for everyone here? Are you praying for everyone here by name? You got a lot of work to do then, don't you? Are you praying for the church? Well, generically, I'm praying for everybody. Do you know anyone here? Are you praying for them? Can you pray intelligently for them? Do you know what they need? Do you know what's going on in their life? Do you know the struggles they're, they're going through? Romans 8 tells us the Spirit helps our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. And the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to God's will. Keep praying for God's will. You'll be in line with the Spirit of God. Praying in the Spirit of God. Praying for the will of God. Paul prays an amazing prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. He says, I bow my knees before the Father. And he's writing to struggling Christians, telling them don't lose heart. And he says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. This is plural. He's praying for the church, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that every individual Christian would know that Christ is in them, their hope of glory, and that they would share that with their fellow believers, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, because this life is tough, that you would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he prays this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. You pray in prayers like that? That's a prayer. That's a prayer for the church. That's a prayer for your fellow believers in Christ. Are you praying prayers like this? You should start. And you notice that it says that God is able to do abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, immeasurably more than we could ask or think. I think of a, of a color wheel that an artist might use. You've got the color wheel out there, and, and all those colors connect in, and, and the artist can choose the colors and, and choose a complementary color that goes with one color or, or choose a contrasting color and to draw the, the, the viewer's eyes in one direction in the, in the picture. But a, a smart artist knows this. They don't know every color that exists, only what they can see. And we can see only a very, very small portion of light. Most we cannot see. There is a, there's a visible color spectrum that we can see, but, but, but sandwich, that's the, the, the little part in the middle, and it's between the, the unseen ultraviolet and infrared. And it's like so much we can't see. Reminds me that the hidden things belong to the Lord our God. The things revealed, the word of God, belong to us, but the hidden things belong to the Lord our God. You need to realize that when you are praying, you don't know it all. That's why the Holy Spirit intercedes 
for us with groanings too deep for words. We don't know. And when you pray, you're acknowledging God as he has revealed himself in his word. And you're praying based on his character, who he is, under his authority. He's the God of the universe. I mean, prayer's not magical. So many people think, oh, I'm just going to pray this prayer and God's going to like, you know, sprinkle spiritual dust and make all these things happen. Prayer is not magical. It is mysterious. Where you meaningfully express your dependence on God, you're pouring out your heart to God. You are you're asking for what he wants. You are making requests. You are praising him. You're pouring your heart out to him. And he's not judging you for what you're praying. He's just, pour your heart out. But don't do it for you. James said, James warned us, you ask and don't receive because you ask so you could have just what you want for your selfish reasons. The posture of your heart must be humble and it must seek the will of God. You know, we're taught young as kids that if a fire happens or if you, you know, are in danger there, you, you stop, drop, and roll, right? That's a good picture of prayer. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. It's the idea of prayer. Committing is, is rolling something. Literally in Hebrew, it's rolling something to the Lord. Like, get it out of your hands. Where, where, where something comes up in life and you stop you, you get on your knees or in your heart, you just bow your heart to God and, and you, you give it all to him. And you ask him for what he wants and you ask him for what he desires and you're asking for his will. And you know you're praying to the maker of the universe. You're praying to the God of deliverances from death. And you know because you've seen it happen before how God has saved your life or others' lives, or raised you up out of, a, of, of, of sickness. And so we are believing it, we are banking on it, that God, who promised to set up his kingdom, the God of the universe, God Almighty, wants us to pray, and he wants us to pray fervently, together, in agreement, for his will, for our loved ones, for salvation, for sanctification, for healing, for the will of God, for many people to come to faith in Christ, praying for everything good that you see in Jude, and even praying for everything that unsettles us. And say, Lord, bring it on because this is what you have planned. Keep building yourself up by God's word first, and, and secondly, keep praying for God's will. Now let's look at practice three because I'm, this is the one that kind of this encompasses your whole life. Like, prayer and the word should permeate your whole life. And then this, this third practice really is like a bookend that gives you perspective and depth perception on here I am right now slugging it out in life. Here I am right now going through a tough time. Here I am right now not knowing if, I, if I'm going to make it. And there's something coming. And it's good for believers. Practice three is keep waiting for God's son. Keep waiting for Christ to return. Look at verse 21. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ 
that leads to eternal life. Waiting for. It literally means to welcome. You can't wait. Now this is not, you know, when I was a kid and if I would hear these words, wait till your father comes home, I'm not welcoming that. I'm going to get in big trouble. I did something wrong. This is waiting for in such a way that you can't wait until it happens. You can't wait for it to come. You're welcoming it. What are you waiting for? You're waiting for the mercy, the pity, the compassion of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the sovereign authority, the owner, the commander, the the ruler, the savior, the Messiah, the anointed one, the deliverer. And you're waiting for his mercy that leads to eternal life. We're in the realm of salvation here. You either have it or you don't. Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You either know Jesus or you don't. You either have death because of your sin and your sins are on you and you're under the wrath of God or you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross and that he died in your place at the cross for your sins, taking your place so that you would not perish forever but have eternal life and that you you believe that and you've received eternal life and there's the, the gears are meshing in your life and there's traction and you know you love God. You didn't used to love God. You used to spurn him. You used to push him away. But now you love him and you love his people. And when you're, when you're sinning, you, you, you're convicted by it because you realize I am out of step with God. You know, the Old Testament saints were waiting for the Messiah to bring salvation. Job, Job said something about it. Job 14, 14, if a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service, I would wait till my renewal should come. He's waiting for the Messiah. Lamentations 3, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks for him. It is good that one should wait silently, quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This word waiting is the same word used of Joseph of Arimathea, waiting for the kingdom of God to come, Mark 15. It's the same word used of Simeon and Anna, waiting for God's redeeming purposes to be fulfilled in Luke 2. Paul says this to Timothy, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, but not only to me, but for all who have loved his appearing. You're welcoming the coming of Christ. You you can't wait for it to happen. You're waiting anxiously. It's like for grandma and grandpa to come, drive to your house and you see them coming around the corner. You can't wait to hug them. Paul, Paul said this. He said, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave us gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works, that you want to please God, that you want to love God, that you want to love your brothers and sisters in Christ because you have this eager anticipation that the one who saved you is coming back for you. Christ offered himself once for all to bear the sins of many, the writer of Hebrews tells us, and he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. In 2 Peter 3.12, we read these words, 
waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. A lot of people will twist that to say hastening means you're going to do something to make it come about. That is not what that word means. It's waiting for, you're welcoming it, and hastening means you want time to speed up. You can't wait for it. You, you can't wait for it. You design, this is like baby steps to 3 o'clock. It's better. I, I need 3 o'clock to come so that this good thing can happen. Waiting for and wanting time to speed up. You're so excited about his return. You're ready for it. Jesus says you must be ready. And for those of you that think you have all the end times wired, Jesus says the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We look forward to the personal, visible, bodily, promised, imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the rider on the white horse, bringing eternal life. This puts us in the realm of eternal life. We are waiting for Jesus to return. Why? Look at it again. Because it leads to eternal life. The full realization of your salvation. Every believer is saved and being saved and will be saved. That regeneration, being born again by the Spirit of God, leads to conversion where you come to faith in Christ and that leads to your sanctification and your glorification. If you're waiting for a loved one to arrive home and they've got something with them that you desperately need, then you kind of know what this is talking about. Wait for the mercy of Jesus who has given you and is giving you and will give you eternal life. Speaking of the mercy of Christ, by the way, is unusual in the New Testament. Mercy is all over the place in the New Testament but, and the Old Testament, but referring to Christ's mercy is unusual. Why would Jude say, wait for the mercy? Well, think about it. He's already been talking about those who are going to get justice. And we need mercy, not justice, when we meet Christ. We are imperfect in this world. We need his mercy. You know, you won't remain in God's love if you immerse yourself in the world and stop longing for your future perfection. You know, the doctrine that these verses are pointing to is what is known as the perseverance of the saints, companion to God's sovereign preservation of believers in Christ, as we see in verse 1 of Jude, kept by Jesus Christ. It's really the preservation of the saints this perseverance of the saints. It's because we are preserved by God. As Revelation 13 says, this is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Those who have been born of God overcome the world, and the victory that has overcome the world is our faith. Paul prays, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ, the endurance of Christ. Those who are born again, regenerate, alive in Christ, and you're engaged in living a life in the power of the Spirit of God that is characterized as sanctification, as God enables. In Romans chapter 8, verse 30, we read that those whom God predestined, he also called. 
And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. uh, Sanctification isn't even mentioned because it's all about being made more like Christ. Justified and then glorified because it's as good as done because God finishes the project he starts. For example, if God predestined you to save you, in his perfect time he called you by his word and spirit out of sin and death. And he he brought you into justification in Jesus Christ. He opened your mind spiritually to understand the gospel. He renewed your will. He drew you to himself. And you came to Christ freely because you were made willing by God's grace. And the elect, the Bible calls Christians the elect so much. The elect, those who are chosen by God to be saved, persevere in faith. Those who have effectually been called by God, you've been reborn by the Spirit of God, you endure to the end. That's what the Bible teaches. You continue on in faith because God preserves you as you persevere. And we all know where the strength lies, but we also know that our will must want that, that, that preservation, that perseverance. God took the divine initiative in regeneration. Rebirth is the start. It's done by God, and he takes your soul from spiritual death to spiritual life. And then Paul says to the Philippians, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He'll finish that. The Spirit of God raises the dead to eternal life. God God elects to bring his people safely to heaven. And what he started, he will finish. So if you think you can't make it, and you're a Christian, think again, because God knows you will. The Holy Spirit initiates the Christian life and then preserves the Christian life. Two things that are spoken of that I'll just mention quickly. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ. It means when God writes your, your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, he does it permanently for eternity. And you have the guarantee of the Spirit. Uh, that was the commercial language of the day, in biblical days. The closest that we would know is a down payment that promises to pay the balance. You are being preserved. That's why we are to persevere in mercy in Christ. And notice what Paul says. He says, and by the way, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. He says to the Corinthians, working together with him, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. The gears need to be meshed. You need to want this. Remain in God's love. Continue in love for God because if you hold things like unforgiveness in your heart, you won't forgive someone. If you hold hatred in your heart, you won't love someone. If you hold unrepentant sin in your heart that you won't turn from, your love for God will decline. And you'll start wondering, am I even saved? God would make you willing to be fully engaged in following Christ. And that you'd be driven on by an expectation, a, a hope, an anticipation Again, of the personal, visible, bodily, promised, eminent return of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. So Christ's church must continue in his love. Remain, abide in Christ's love. Keep doing what you were saved to do, what called to do as God keeps holding on to you. Church must remain in God's love. His grip, his grip, Never loosens. His group is eternal. You'll notice there are some Trinitarian undertones in, in these two verses. 
You are to keep yourselves in God's love. You are to wait for God's son. You are to pray in God's spirit because God works to keep his church healthy. And you notice that it's all in the plural that the church does this together as it keeps going. True believers are united in truth. They care deeply for the church that they're a part of while being alert to the adversary and they're part of a community keeping watch. So you keep yourself in the love of God not by looking out for yourself but by looking out for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You gotta grasp this. You gotta put your family in Christ above you. You've gotta do the one another's. The one another's are not these, these uh, optional buffet items. Uh, you need to be focused on the outworking of your most holy faith as you do your part. Ephesians 4 says this, equip the pastors and teachers equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds up itself in love. Someone will get to you, but don't worry about yourself. Have an other-oriented servant heart. Collectively continue. Help everyone you can. Make them better. Help them be more holy. Help them improve and build into their life. Just flip the script of self-centered, me-centered notions of me growing in Christ. Get to work on helping others come to know Christ. Get to work helping others grow in Christ. And what you'll be amazed to find out is you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when you do. The biggest thing for you today is for you to be a servant, a slave of Christ, that make sure you are taking care of others above yourself. Uh, we're going to see it more next week in terms of showing mercy to those affected by false teaching. But just be the consummate teammate. Be the complete teammate. Do anything you can for others. Have this kind of attitude. I couldn't be more blessed to be here. I couldn't be more blessed to be here, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than with the people of God. And while you're waiting for his mercy, while you're waiting for Christ's mercy, drenched in his ever-new mercy every day, just take every opportunity you can to be under the word of God. The preaching of the word of God, the reading of the word of God, the sharing of the word of God. Take every opportunity to pour your heart out in dependent prayer to God, alone, uh, with your household, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And as you wait for your, his son from heaven, take every opportunity to serve the Lord with gladness. Take your life's work and make it an offering to God for his glory to please him. Keep working. See the project to completion as Christ keeps his church. Lord God, we thank you and praise you that you keep your church and that we could continue in your love, that we can build up by your word and be obedient and pray for your will and be dependent and, and wait for Christ to return expectantly. All because of you, all for you, all for your magnificent glory the glories of your grace. Let me pray in Jesus' name. Amen.